Hi everyone, this is Janice, your neighborhood nutritionist. I've spent the last couple of years helping busy office professionals upgrade their health through upgrading their nutrition. And one thing was very obvious. Nobody's got time to read up on all the scientific stuff to know fact from fiction. So each week, I will talk to you about a different topic or concept in nutrition in simple, everyday terms, so you are empowered to make the best nutritional decisions. Get ready to learn about some new stuff, gain new insights into old concepts, and super boost your health. everyone today I've got Whitney Morgan a Hashimoto's coach and autoimmune expert with me today and so thank you Whitney so much for coming to my podcast and welcome oh thank you so much Janice I'm happy to be here so Whitney Hashimoto's coach and autoimmune expert can you tell us a little bit about why you became an expert in this area by necessity, actually. I mm-hmm. I grew up in a pretty traditional medical household, a lot of doctors in my family. And when I received my first autoimmune diagnosis, of, mm-hmm. um, and that was psoriasis, I did what most people do. You know, I just went down that traditional medicine path, dermatologist and whatnot, got the creams and all that good stuff. Um, then I got a second diagnosis, which was, um, the Hashimoto's and, uh, and again, traditional means, right. And then my third was interstitial cystitis, which was probably the most debilitating diagnosis of all three. And that's really when I got off the traditional medicine path, because I realized that it had nothing to offer me. Mm-hmm. And, um, Interstitial cystitis is is extremely painful, like 24-7 pain and very debilitating. So I guess you could say I got um, sick enough, hopeless enough, desperate enough, right, that that I, I had a real paradigm shift. And I knew that what the doctors were telling me I could not accept as my future. And I didn't know what the answer was, but I knew it was out there. So I had never been involved in alternative medicine community, you know, me personally, mm-hmm. but I jumped into it and um, started educating myself uh, in herbs and, and holistic nutrition and things. And then I found acupuncture. I actually ended up going to acupuncture school. Mm-hmm. Um, and Chinese medicine was extraordinarily beneficial for me. Mm-hmm. And then I, um, after I graduated from there, I also got training in functional medicine and functional nutrition. Uh, long story short, I ended up completely reversing the interstitial cystitis. I don't have oh, wow. it anymore. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's just like not heard of. Right. Mm. And um, all of the symptoms around the Hashimoto's and the psoriasis, I mean, Hashimoto's, I don't, I don't have any, um, you know, Hashimoto's or thyroid-like symptoms anymore. And, um, and the psoriasis, I got like a 95% clear. So all of those things are huge success stories, just in and of themselves, you know, one at a mm-hmm. time, but all three together, um, uh, was pretty powerful. And then I, I received my fourth diagnosis, which kind of, um, connected all the dots for me. And that was celiac disease. I am 
a silent celiac. I've never had a GI response, no gas, bloating, diarrhea, anything like that to gluten. Right. So, um, so they found it as a fluke, really. I was having some other procedure uh, for another reason. And and a gastroenterologist found it, and uh, he was shocked. I was shocked, but it really did kind of make the mystery, you know, much more understandable for me that that it was the celiac disease all along that was kind of going on in the background silently, mm-hmm. that was driving the rest of, you know, this other autoimmune picture. So, um, so I really was an autoimmune collector. <laughs> pretty much. I mean, like, and, and I'm not alone in that. It's very common among women. And so I just, from healing myself and becoming just super passionate about uh, functional medicine and alternative healing and just the power behind, um, you know, diet and lifestyle and mindset changes. I mean, just just the power of the body to do what it knows how to do, which is, you know, maintain balance and to heal. Um, I, I made it my life. So this is, this is what I do now. And I'm just super passionate about ha- helping other women avoid basically, which was for me, 20 year journey that mm. with a lot of suffering that had I had a coach in my corner, like me, my future self, if my future self could have come back and said, hey, you know, um, I could have saved myself a lot of time. <laughs> so that's what I like doing for other women now. Yeah, I just really love these stories of, you know, you, like you said, you've healed yourself and then you're now on a mission, right, to help everybody else. And I think your story also really shows how interconnected our entire immune system is. Um, because I think, you know, personally, I fortunately, I don't suffer from any autoimmune problems, but I've heard more than once that you find one and then you'll find others because yes. everything in our bodies, you know, this is why holistic medicine works, right? You can't just put a bandaid on one symptom because that's just a signal of what else is wrong with you. Absolutely. And I think part of the trap when you're walking down more of a traditional medical um, route is, and this isn't a diss on traditional medicine, it's just mm-hmm. that it's constructed in a way that it's everything is specialized. Yeah, everything's specialized. Mm-hmm. So if you get a particular diagnosis, like for Hashimoto's, you go to an endocrinologist. If you get psoriasis, you go to a dermatologist, right? I mean, the this is just the way it's set up. And so each specialist looks through your diagnosis, looks at it through a very particular lens, and they're not trained to see the connections between mm-hmm. other things. And I, w- I can't count the number of times I was told that diet had nothing to do with my diseases. It mm-hmm. was completely unrelated, right? And that's just not true. You know, so, so even besides not seeing the connections between different health issues, um, there's also this real deficit that they don't really see the connection between a lifestyle of diet and, and, you know, sleep habits and exercise habits Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and life, life stressors with the ultimate diagnosis down the road. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in particular, you know, in today's conversation, I guess I want to pick your brains on thyroid um, issues, or just because it's such a huge topic, you know, autoimmune problems are such a big topic that I think we will only have time really to talk about one area. Sure. Um, 
for the benefit of everybody listening, could we actually start with a simple 101 of what is our thyroid, what does it do, and why should we care about it? Sure. Well, um, the thyroid is a gland. Sorry, that was my computer. Um, The thyroid is a butterfly-shaped gland right underneath um, your Adam's apple. And it really is the metabolic driver of the body. So every cell in your body requires thyroid hormone in order to make that cell work at full capacity. So the way I think of it and the way I describe it to clients is if you think of, you know, you're, you're a sports car and you need to get down the road, you need to put gas in the engine or you're not going to go anywhere. Right. And that's Mm -hmm. what thyroid hormone is for every cell in the body. It's kind of the gas in the engine that drives metabolic function. So when it, when something goes wrong, then practically every system in the body malfunctions. Mm -hmm. So, so it really does govern, you know, everything, everything you can think of in the body. Okay. That's actually so much more important than I previously knew. Um, And when I was reading up about our thyroid, I came across this term TSH. Mm -hmm. Um, So what is it actually? Sure. Well, TSH is the most common thyroid marker that doctors will measure when they check your thyroid. Um, on a blood test. But what it is, it's, it's not a thyroid hormone. It's, it's the signal from your pituitary gland in your brain mm-hmm. that is sent to the thyroid gland, telling the thyroid uh, to either create more hormone or create less hormone. So the thyroid is dependent upon signals it receives from both the hypothalamus and the pituitary. It's like this, it's like this chain of, you know, a a game of, of telephone, right? The Mm -hmm. hypothalamus sends a signal to the pituitary, the pituitary sends a signal to the thyroid and the thyroid gland produces hormones, um, you know, according to the signal it's getting. So the TSH is kind of like the message. Yes, it is the the messenger. It's that's, that's all it is. And so if the, if the TSH level is up, you can think of that as your pituitary screaming at your thyroid, hey, pay attention, we need more productivity, right? Get to mm-hmm. work. Um, when the signal is really low, you can think of it as a whisper, right? It's like, yeah, okay, well, cal- calm down, slow down, don't worry about things, we got enough hormone going on, you know, you can rest, right? Um, mm-hmm. But it's really just the the volume of the signal. That's what right. TSH is, yeah. And when we think about thyroid problems, I guess, you know, people may have heard of Hashimoto's, especially recently, you know, with COVID found in some younger children, you know, they, they then develop Hashimoto's or it, um, I guess, exacerbates it. But maybe to a lesser extent, what are some other symptoms people may experience when their thyroids are not happy? Oh, sure. Um, Well, most thyroid disorders are because of an underactive thyroid where you don't have enough hormone, right? That's the majority. So uh, for 90% of the women or or men with thyroid issues, you're going to have things like your hair falling out, um, foggy brain, you just can't think clearly, poor memory, 
really strong fatigue, um, your hands and your feet might be cold all the time, your whole body might be cold all the time. Uh, you tend to gain weight and retain a lot of water. Uh, usually there's some constipation, irregular periods, or really severe PMS. You can have mm -hmm. a lot of anxiety and depression and mood swings and joint pain, muscle pain. Um, but even things like high cholesterol or insulin resistance, right, um, mm -hmm. blood sugar issues, prediabetes, that kind of thing. So, I mean, you can see just from that list of symptoms, it, it, it's a systemic thing, you know, and, mm -hmm. and a lot of these symptoms are seemingly unrelated to each other, but they're all related by the thyroid gland. Yeah, it sounds like basically your body is out of whack. Something yeah. is out of balance, but... I can actually see why these might be really hard to detect, actually, because separately, these could be symptoms of many other problems. Oh, so I, absolutely. Yeah, it might be really hard for someone to, you know, almost have a checklist. Okay, out of the 10, I've got nine. Maybe it's this. Right. You know, you talked about irregular periods, um, you know, bad PMS or, you know, other problems. And these all just feel like, things that people go through if they're tired or stressed. That's right. And I think the other uh, unfortunate thing is that particularly since the majority of people with thyroid issues are women, right? And there is this common message that women receive, which is, oh, well, you know, this happens when you become a woman of a certain age or, right. right um, or you're just stressed. Well, of course you feel this way because you're working and you're a mom and you have a busy life. And, you know, so there's a certain level of discounting or explaining away of these symptoms as if they are normal. Right. Mm -hmm. But they're not, they're just common. And, and far too many times they are discounted as, you know, like, almost like they're all in your head, like, well, this is a lifestyle issue, right? Um, and, and so many women go undiagnosed and, and uninvestigated in terms of, you know, they don't have their thyroid markers checked, right? It's not even mm. part of your basic blood work. So um, it's, it's very common that it, someone might go years without even getting a thyroid lab run. And is there any, what's the reason for the fact that women usually get this more than men. Yeah, I don't I don't know if the research is definitive on that. There are some um, you know, hypotheses around it. One is just that we are a little more nuanced in terms of endocrine system, right? Uh, estrogen and and progesterone and different life changes whether it's, you know, puberty, pregnancy, mm. the monthly cycle, then menopause, you know, we, we have a much more dynamic and volatile hormonal system. Um, but we tend to be more susceptible to autoimmune disease as a whole. And some people have suggested that women tend to be more exposed to a lot of chemicals as well. I think the latest, okay. the latest number is most women just getting ready for, like for work in the morning will be exposed to 160 different toxic chemicals. And that's very different than the majority of men out there. We just use more personal care products. That's a pretty scary number. It actually. is scary. It is scary. And most women dye their hair or paint their fingernails, right? So, and wear makeup, um, a lot of chemicals 
in, in those products that really aren't regulated. So uh, we, we just have a higher rate of exposure. I see. And you mentioned that a lot of the times when, especially women, when they experience these symptoms, it's almost a death sentence, right, of, oh, you've hit this age, and therefore you're going to start feeling like this. So is it right to say that there's a certain age range where people tend to get diagnosed with thyroid issues? Or is that just a misconception? Well, I don't, I don't know the actual numbers, but I can tell you from my own clinical experience, um, mm-hmm. usually it's women who are in their, at the earliest late thirties, um, but usually they're in their forties by the time they okay. get diagnosed. Yeah. Okay. Um, now that's different with, you know, hypothyroidism in general. Um, sometimes you see that kind of diagnosis happening early, but in terms of Hashimoto's, that, that, that usually comes around late 30s, early 40s. Right. So all of the symptoms you mentioned before due to inactive thyroid. So that's hypothyroidism. Now, you've mentioned Hashimoto's. I've heard the term a lot, but I know nothing about it. So could you actually tell us what Hashimoto's is and what problems does it bring for people? Sure. Well, the the symptoms of hypothyroidism and the symptoms of Hashimoto's are pretty much the same. The mm-hmm. distinction between the two is that Hashimoto's is an autoimmune disease. So your immune system is going after your thyroid gland, right? Um, actually doing tissue damage. Hypothyroidism right. is the result of some sort of mix up in the in the hormone messaging, uh, maybe um, nutrient deficiencies that are causing, you know, not enough hormone to be produced. It's just underactive thyroid for, you know, several possible reasons, but they're they're not autoimmune in nature. But mm-hmm. it, in terms of how a woman feels, it's, it, there's really no distinction between the two disorders. Now, I will tell you that research does suggest that the majority of hypothyroid cases are actually Hashimoto's. They just don't get diagnosed that way. And the reason why they're undiagnosed is because most doctors aren't checking for antibody levels, right? They're Mm -hmm. not, they're Mm -hmm. not looking for autoimmune disease per se. Um, But also even if they are checking, a third of women with Hashimoto's may not have elevated antibodies when they actually get their blood levels drawn because antibody levels will fluctuate. So, um, but we know that, that that's, what, that's what the research is telling us now is that the majority are autoimmune related and, you know, across the board. So I just say, let's, let's just be cautious. And if you have hypothyroidism, if you've been diagnosed with hypothyroidism, um, it's it's almost just better off for you to assume that it's very likely that you actually have an autoimmune disease and then to proceed accordingly. And I guess with Hashimoto, so if hypothyroidism is, you know, due to the factors you mentioned before, it sounds like that is something that we can, you know, regain the balance in our bodies and almost, you know, reverse the symptoms like you have done for yourself. With Hashimoto's, what is the current prognosis or what is the treatment that is commonly offered now? 
Sure. Well, let me give you two examples. So with hypothyroidism, let's say in this example, you have a woman who's been under extreme stress for maybe a year or two, and that chronic stress has um, resulted in her having a lot of stress hormones that have been elevated, you know, chronically over, over a year or more. And those mm-hmm. elevated stress hormones actually interfere with thyroid hormone production so that she ends up being hypothyroid. Okay. So in that case, you could reverse the stress, you know, have her, have her really kind of rehabilitate her whole, um, adrenal system and the thyroid would come back online. Okay. With autoimmune disease, it's different because we're actually looking for a more precise trigger. Mm -hmm. So with autoimmune disease, you usually have to have a genetic predisposition plus um, some prolonged leaky gut or or what we call hyperpermeability of the gut, where Mm -hmm. um, a lot of things get through the gut lining and into the bloodstream that shouldn't be there. Mm -hmm. And and then you have like some final trigger, like, like, think of it as the the bullet that actually shoots out of the gun. Um, Mm -hmm. For for a lot of women, that's gluten. That's a huge Mm -hmm. trigger in in Hashimoto's. Um, But it can also be gut infections, certain bacterial overgrowth or certain parasites. It can also be heavy metal toxicity, that final straw that breaks the camel's back that, you know, then the immune system starts going after the thyroid gland. So in that case, you have to find out what your triggers are so that you can eliminate them. If it's gluten, Mm -hmm. obviously you eliminate gluten. But if it's mercury and you've got mercury buildup in your body, well, now you have to actively go after it to get it out of your body, right? Same with any Mm -hmm. sort of gut infections or parasites. So there's, there's, to a certain extent, there's a level of testing that you need to do or an investigation in order to find out, do you have one trigger, two trigger, three triggers, right? What mm-hmm. are they? And then how do we get rid of them? And so I don't want people listening to necessarily start panicking and wonder if they also have, you know, hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's, but what are some of the more important signs, would you say, when people should think about speaking to their physicians? Well, I think that if if you have been diagnosed with hypothyroidism, I think it's a good idea that every time your physician checks your thyroid, and usually that's at least once a year, or it should be, um, but if you are still having symptoms, it should be more than once a year, that every time you ask them to please measure your antibody levels so that you can at least get the data on that, right? Because if the doctor isn't checking your antibodies, you're never going to get your diagnosis, right? So Mm -hmm. the more data you have, the more chance you you have to catch a diagnosis, diagnosis if it's there. And what about for people who have not yet been diagnosed with hypothyroidism? At what point would you recommend people, you know, ask their doctors that question? Sure. Well, I think, you know, um, with the list of symptoms that we talked about, right, mm-hmm. if if you can check off five or six of these things and you can't explain them away yourself, right? I mean, most women know something's not right. This isn't mm-hmm. normal for me, right? And that's why they go to their doctor in the first place. So... I would, I would encourage women to be, to be empowered, be assertive, 
that don't let someone tell you, even if they are a medical expert, that your symptoms are normal or that they're because you're a certain age or because you're a mom with three kids and and a full-time job. Don't let someone else explain away what you know intuitively is not right. Mm. And just demand that you want to have your thyroid thoroughly checked. You know, yeah, I, I think love, we need to remember advice, <laughs> we need to remember who works for who, for who, right? I mean, mm. you go to the doctor, you're paying them for a service, and and that should be respected, right? And, and I think too often that um, we're trained to be more passive when it comes to how we interact with our physicians. And, and for the most part, I think most physicians are really, really very um, supportive and enthusiastic when they have um, patients that are kind of stepping in a place, stepping into a place of power with their own health, right? And, and really mm-hmm, wanting to be mm-hmm. proactive and assertive. I think, I think doctors really do appreciate that. Um, it's, just, it's just we're not trained to consume medicine that way. Yeah, and I think it's it's also worth mentioning that in most cases, doctors don't get a lot of time with patients. So it right. is as much our own responsibility mm-hmm. to make sure we are telling them everything, you know, and not think that, oh, that's super minor. Maybe, maybe it's pointless to mention it. We should just take advantage of however much time we get with our doctors and just tell them everything, tell them the whole picture. Absolutely. And, and also, I think we need to recognize that depending on what um, healthcare system you're working with, some doctors are, are really constrained about mm. you know, what kind of lab tests they can order and why. Mm-hmm. And, and we live in an, env- in an environment now, at least, at least in this country, in the United States, where um, you know, I can order pretty much any lab test I want on myself, right? We have more access to basic lab work. So if you do have access, you know, get a little education about about what constitutes a, a complete thyroid panel. See if you can order one on yourself and then take that in your hand to your doctor's office, right? Mm-hmm. Just, just take the step and, and get your own lab work done. Absolutely. And I think I picked up on something you said earlier around um, discovering that you had celiac. Um, Could you actually explain a little bit more about the relationship between gluten and our thyroids? Oh, absolutely. Um, Well, for starters, gluten. um, Now, gluten is just a protein that's found Mm -hmm. inside of wheat, right? Mm -hmm. And the, the gluten protein has a structure that's very similar to a type of tissue in your thyroid. So if it gets through your gut, right? Like if you have a leaky gut and, and this gluten protein gets through, which is very common, then your immune system goes after it. And because your immune system, once it goes after the gluten, it will kind of patrol for gluten all the time, right? It want to, it wants to keep those enemies away And when it sees your thyroid, it goes, oh, that looks a lot like gluten. And it can make the mistake due to what's what we call molecular mimicry. Mm. It's just mistaken identity. And now it's going after your thyroid thinking that your thyroid gland is the gluten protein and it's not. 
Um, another connection is that wheat also contains a lectin called wheat germagglutinin. And this mm -hmm. lectin also, when it gets through the gut lining, it's very sticky protein and it will go to a lot of different tissues in the body, um, the joints mm -hmm. and the skin. And, but it has an affinity for the thyroid gland. So it actually goes to the thyroid gland and kind of sticks to it. And when the immune system goes after that lectin, it will destroy um, thyroid tissue in the process, kind of like collateral damage. And mm. what's, what's really detrimental is that you don't have to be sensitive to gluten. You don't have to be a celiac. You don't have to be gluten sensitive in order for gluten to cause an autoimmune disease because gluten does cause leaky gut in everybody, regardless of whether or not you're sensitive to it. So if you have a croissant in the morning and a sandwich at lunch, you're going to have a leaky gut that day. You just are. You're going to have more permeability in your gut lining. And because it's such an undigestible protein, gluten is, it is, we're at high risk for that undigested protein to get through that gut permeability into the bloodstream and then boom, you know, your mm -hmm. immune system now is interfacing with this gluten and you are on the road to getting an autoimmune disease, typically Hashimoto's. Right. I think actually a lot of people may not even realize that gluten is a protein. I was just thinking about that. Right, right. Yeah, it's, we, just, it's just a protein. Yeah, because we associate gluten with carbs. Yes. Right, so I think, I think that's an important thing actually for people to take away from this. Whitney, thank you so much for sharing you know, your own journey and all of these things that you've learned on this journey because... I can't get over the fact that these symptoms all sound so common. Like any given day of the year, I might have felt some of them, actually. Yes. <laughs> um, so it's no wonder that this is, you know, easily underdiagnosed or just completely missed. Mm -hmm. And I think it's worth, you know, people listening. Obviously, I'm not saying go go on WebMD and, you know, <laughs> self-diagnose yourself, but you know, stay tuned to your body. And if something doesn't feel right, your body is actually usually intelligent enough to tell you the right messages. So if anything, you know, if people don't remember anything from this episode, I think definitely get connected with yourself. If something doesn't feel right, go get it checked out. Don't guess. Yes, you're right. And common does not mean normal. Okay, they they, they mm -hmm. aren't the same thing. So just because you know maybe uh, you know your your friends have have similar symptoms, that doesn't mean that's normal. It it they're very common collection of symptoms for a lot of women. But I think we just have to draw a firm distinction between what's common and normal. And most women mm. know can remember a time when they felt right in their bodies, right? Mm -hmm, where, mm -hmm. where things felt okay and, and they felt vital. And then they can compare it to how they feel now with this collection of quote unquote normal symptoms. And they know that's not normal for them, right? That's, mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. wrong. And so trust your intuition around that. Yeah, I think I smiled actually when you said that. That reminds me of, you know, when you have a cold for a long time and you forget what it is to have you know, to breathe properly. <laughs> right. And suddenly the cold 
goes away and then your head is not foggy anymore and you can breathe and you can smell things. Right. And I think a lot of people actually can't even tell you the last time they felt that kind of clarity mm-hmm. and just feeling good, which is a whole other conversation, right? Of right. what have we got ourselves into and how can we get ourselves back into you know, that kind of lifestyle. Um, no, but I think that's a really good point about things being normal, I think can be a misleading mm-hmm. thought, right? Because if you have chronic pain, pain is normal for you. Right. But it doesn't mean it's good or it doesn't mean you need to accept it. And I spoke previously with a different guest about uh, menopause, right? And for a lot of women, I think it almost becomes an accepted thing that at some point in our lives, we will graduate into discomfort. Yes. Right. And we need to just right. accept it. Mm-hmm. No, I <laughs> um, think you're right. I think you're right. And, mm. and, I, and I think that same message is, is kind of parroted back to us by, by physicians sometimes, right? It, mm. When you are of a certain age going through a certain, you know, life transition that all of these things, that, that this is the way life is going to be from now on. Yeah, and I think this is where it's really beneficial to, of course, you know, trust the empirical evidence because, you know, the researches and the studies are done for a reason by people, but pair that with your intuition. Yes. Right, and personalize it a little bit to your own circumstances. Absolutely. So, Whitney, before we finish, I'd like you to, in, um, I'd like you to give our guests three actionable tips I guess around, you know, thyroid health and potentially if people are suffering from hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's. Great. Okay. I think the first tip is no matter whether it's Hashimoto's or hypothyroidism, get rid of the gluten in your life completely. Um, just, just make a permanent shift and, and ditch it. It's, it's the best thing that you can do for your thyroid in the long term. Um, my second piece of advice would be to, to make sure that you're getting the most comprehensive thyroid blood work done by, by your doctor. Mm -hmm. Um, and for those, um, people who are interested on my website, I do have a free, thyroid lab test interpretation guide that Mm -hmm. they can download. I think it's so important that we all understand the basics around what these different markers are on the blood test and what they mean and the clues that they can give us Mm -hmm. to how we can restore our thyroid function, that there are things that we can actually do ourselves beyond medication. Um, so just getting knowledge and understanding blood work would be, would be, um, number two. And number three is to realize that this, that, that turning a thyroid issue around isn't just about medication and what you eat. It's, it's a complete lifestyle reboot. Mm -hmm. Pay attention to how much sleep you're getting every night do something actively every day to manage your stress, right? Mm. Mm. Um, and, and move every day, right? So just these very simple things, they're little things, but they make a huge difference in terms of thyroid function. Sleep is critical, eight hours of sleep. And if I see um, women make one mistake when it comes to exercise, it's they are 
over-exercising. And that's usually okay. because they're trying so hard to lose that excess thyroid weight. And they think that the more they exercise, the better off they're going to be. Mm-hmm. And over-exercising can actually make it harder for your thyroid to heal. Right. Because it exhausts your body yes. in a different way. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I love I love those. I think those are generally good advice anyway, just for yes. good health and to feel good. Absolutely. So my final question for you, Whitney, is it's also my favorite question for all my guests. What food always takes you to your happy place? My homemade chocolate truffles. I I just a little bit of dark chocolate every day at the end of the day is absolutely my happy place. So I I usually always have some in the fridge. And that's it for this episode of Neighborhood Nutritionist. Thank you so much for spending this time with me and I hope you've really enjoyed it and learned something you can take away with you today. If you could take a second to share this episode with one person you think will love it, that would be absolutely amazing. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're listening now. See you soon.